Listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm not taking any more chances. We got stuff flying around we have no control over. And I don't want to board full of these planes hitting every building on the East Coast. This is a national emergency. Everyone lands regardless of destination. That's going to cost billions. That Just do impact. it. We have hundreds of international flights coming in. They're already in the air. No, no I, don't, I don't want any more international flights crossing the borders. And they don't have to go back where they came from. Nobody's coming into the country from now on. Everyone? Everyone. Shut off the East Coast. Shut off all the internationals from Europe. Shut off South America. Shut off the West Coast. Nothing over the top either. Canada? Yeah, Canada too. Can shut down the airspace? No, I can't accept it. No. Nobody takes off. Take a moment. Think about this. We're going to put. We're going to shut down the entire country right now. That's right. Listen, we're at war with someone, and until we figure out what to do about it, we're shutting down. That's it. We're finished. And welcome to the main event. I start out with that clip from United 93 as a teaser to part two of today's show where I'm playing my uh, my 9-11 memorial show. If you haven't heard it before in the last 10 years, I play it every uh, September 11th. Um, September 11th was actually Tuesday, so it was right in between. And the news week last week was too big, too big. I didn't have time to fit it in, so we put it, we're put it in this week's. If you haven't heard it, don't miss it. It's probably the most popular show that I've done, probably because out of 25 minutes, it's uh, I'm only on it for about 30 seconds. So the rest of it is uh, is movie clips and newsreels and uh, music and stuff that'll help you relive how we felt the day that changed the world. Um, also use that uh, mo- that song, uh, Ready or Not, from Mr. Lou Graham, uh, lead singer of uh, Foreigner from when we all grew up. Don and I went and saw him last uh, Saturday. He sounds awesome. He sounds really good. So uh, I remember seeing him back 20 years ago when he was still with Foreigner, and he sounded like he couldn't hit the hit the the notes back then. And uh, but apparently he's rehab since his uh, surgery to take out a brain tumor, and he sounds excellent. If you get a chance to see him, go get it. So uh, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff coming up here uh, today, and I only have half a show to tell you everything that's going on because 9-11 is the second half. So let me get to it. But before I do, let me introduce myself. My name's Ed Hoffman, President Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender located here in Southern California. Offices all over the place. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and believe me, if you're shopping for a house, there are some fantastic opportunities in real estate because the inventory is building up. And for some reason, some buyers are hesitant. And you know what they say, uh, you know, uh, uh, great inv- good investors make uh, make lots of money in good markets and great investors make lots of money in bad markets. Apparently the masses are going one way. Take advantage and jump in and get some deals for yourself. Take an, Keep an eye on what's been on the market for a while. Keep an eye on what's had uh, price reductions and the stuff that hasn't had price reductions, but it's been on the market for a while. Make some lowball offers and uh, see what you get. Uh, but there's not there's not much competition for some reason. The rates have gone up a little bit in the past year. But jump in there. There's some great deals to be had, whether you're buying a house to live in, buying a house to uh, to uh, uh, as an investment property or a vacation home. Or if you need a reverse mortgage, if you're uh, over 62 and you're looking at uh, some of those reverse mortgage commercials, you're going, what's that all about? 
It's a great way to enhance your retirement. Call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with me but you don't want to talk on the phone because you're one of them computer guys, you know, I just like to do it the, the, the 21st century way, go to wccloans.com, www.wccloans.com. Click on uh, looking for a loan, fill out all the information, tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear back from either myself or one of my talented teammates, Eric Marquez, Alex Rojas, Cody Bradbury, or Aaron Fredericks, and we'll help you find the missing piece to your real estate financing puzzle. Um, if you hear something on the show you want repeated, uh, you can hear this week's show as well as uh, several past shows on uh, edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.net. Click on the podcast page. You can hear this show as well as several past shows. There's also a link there that is just the 9-11, so it'll be just the uh, the second half by itself. But you don't want to miss the first half either, but go to there. You can also get the, uh, the um, podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes where you can subscribe for free. You can click on You can hit it, hit it anytime you want, or if you want to subscribe for free, it'll automatically download onto your uh, computer, your iPad, your iPhone, your iWatch, your 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 iPad, mini pad, maxi pad, uh, whatever you want, and uh, anything you can listen to podcasts on. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about all current events all week long, and uh, find the show, like the show on Facebook. Just search Facebook uh, and shoot, uh, search uh, the main event at Hoffman, and you'll find it there. You'll also find the uh, the nine eleven show on there as well this week. Uh, if you hear something on the show that you if you hear something on the show that Makes you angry or makes you happy or you want to make your comments on it, call the listener hotline, 855-640-2092. I might just play your clip on the show like this. Hey, yeah, uh, this is Rick over in Redlands, uh, California. I like your show. like what you're doing. Uh, please keep it up. Uh, it might be nice to see if you can uh, get a hold of Sean Flynn, uh, who's against Pete Aguilar over on this side of the mountain, and get try and get his... Uh, uh, you know, story going uh, to help Pete uh, beat Pete Aguilar. So have a good one. Thanks. Sean Flynn will be in, in this studio with me in three weeks. So uh, you asked for it. You got it. He will be here. We're going to help him help him beat Pete Aguilar. Or maybe this one. Hi, this is Janet in Los Angeles. And I heard your show today, Sunday. And I want to say you've got courage you showed real courage today and i say thank you and i agree with you bringing up obama's birth certificate i haven't heard that topic for a while and it's always been considered uh radioactive uh by conservatives i think and so i loved it that you spoke your your um take on it and it's mine also i thoroughly agree yeah, I thoroughly agree with that, but I know it's radioactive, so I'm not going to make any more comments. And one more I got last week. Hi, Ed. This is Dave. Uh, I've been listening to you for years, and I, and I usually always agree with you. But you're talking about uh, McCain's funeral and talking about Meghan McCain and her eulogy to her father. Uh, I thought it was despicable what she said about President Trump. Uh, she took a couple of cheap shots at him. A eulogy is not the time to be commenting about politics. and I just think she was wrong. and. I understand why you uh, praised her so much. Praised her so much. I don't know where you got there. I'm just trying to be respectful. Um, I just I thought it was out of line, and but you know, 
she just lost her dad. I try to think about, uh, you know, you've, you guys have heard me talk about my dad and I'm, you know, it's, I didn't have that same kind of relationship with my dad. He wasn't as, as great a guy and that I would admire, you know, he was a great example of what I didn't want to be in my life. And I think about how my kids might feel if I, when I go. So I say, you know, Hey, have some respect for her. Um, but yeah, it was way out of line. But, uh, so anyway, Hey, I appreciate your comments and, uh, keep them coming. I'll keep playing them. Hey, before I go on to topics, let me just remind you, we're doing a, uh, fundraiser at our office in Marino Valley Thursday night in Marino Valley from, uh, from six to eight for Aja Smith. If you want to come meet Aja or Asia, as I call her, um, who's running for Congress against Mark Decano, who, uh, does not care about you or your, or your concerns, unless you're part of the LGBT crowd, which is not a very high percentage of us. Uh, we need to support her. Come on out. Uh, details are on, uh, on our, uh, our Facebook, uh, Facebook, uh, search main event Ed Hoffman, uh, or the Wholesale Capital Facebook has it as well. But it's Thursday night from 6 to 8. Uh, come on out and meet Aja Smith and bring your checkbook. And if you can't, if you can't make it, send your checkbook anyway because we need to fuel her uh, fuel her campaign. We need to get rid of Mark Ticano. We'll, uh, we'll do some similar stuff for uh, some of the other candidates. We got about 50 days left. Uh, also, if you're shopping for a house, Maxim Properties, Wholesale Capital is their preferred lender on that. If you're uh, looking at, uh, if you go to MaximProperties.net, they've got properties all over the place, fully rehabbed, ready to move in. And uh, if you go go there, then you call us. If you get a uh, pre-qualified by Wholesale Capital, you get a very, very good possibility of getting that, uh, it stacks your odds of getting that offer accepted. Uh, very... It, you got. You're basically gonna get it as long as you're willing to pay what the uh, what the highest bid is. Um, but well, it gives you a big advantage in getting your offer accepted if you're financing with us because they know it'll close if we say it will. So uh, also one last thing, I want to call out to one of my employees, Jackie Woods, who uh, two weeks ago took the day off, which I'm not in favor of, but she went down to take her oath as a new American citizen. And I know she probably doesn't listen to the show uh, very often, but I'm going to call her out and say, congratulations, Jackie, for being a, a uh, American citizen. And I gave her an autographed picture from Donald Trump, congratulating her and uh, dead gummit. Let's get to work on this show. So we got a lot to talk about and only a few minutes left. So I used it all up just introducing myself. So, Hey, Democrats are looking like morons this week. Um, the Senate Judiciary Committee was supposed to vote on the Supreme Court confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh this week, but thanks to a number of motions from Democrats on Thursday, the vote has now been delayed. The vote to delay the vote resulted in the decision to reschedule for next Thursday, September 20th. Republicans overruled motions from uh, Democrats Dianne Feinstein of California, Amy Klobuchar of uh, Minnesota, Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, and Dick Durbin of Illinois. Oh, and one more, Chris Coons of Delaware, all of whom uh, claim they are seeking to subpoena documents and witness on Kavanaugh and witnesses on Kavanaugh. This comes on the heels of last week's Spartacus moment from Cory Booker of New Jersey, who claimed he was breaking the rules of the Senate by releasing old emails of Kavanaugh's that were already released. On Fox News Sunday, Chris Wallace asked Booker's fellow Democrat Chris Coons what he thought of the stunt. But Senator Booker knew and you knew that when he made such a big fuss about releasing those documents, in fact, the Judiciary Committee had already cleared those documents for release. So wasn't this just a pretty blatant stunt? 
Well, Chris, I have to be careful what I say here because I'm the vice chairman of the Ethics Committee. Uh, and in that role, I can't comment on anything that may or may not come before the Ethics Committee. I, I just have to ask you, because you, you brought this up, is this a matter that the Ethics Committee is now considering, Cory Booker's behavior? I can't comment on that, Chris. Which means, yes, it is. It's all about, it's nothing, it's not about what's true or anything. It's just about the little clips that they can push on the internet so that uh, Booker can use it as a campaign ad when he's running for president in 2020. And uh, he's a little person with a little brain and a little attitude. Uh, and another person who's thinking about running for president, uh, Kamala Harris, our former attorney general and our current senator, who, uh, who voted for this moron? The other Democrat senator aiming to run for president in 2020 continues to pull stunts aimed at Kavanaugh as well. This week, Harris tweeted this, tweeted out this edited out of contest, out of context clip of Kavanaugh calling birth control pills abortion inducing during his hearing. Filling out the form would make them complicit in the provision of uh, the uh, abortion inducing drugs that they were as a religious matter objected to. Yeah, the problem is Harris's clip edited out two words at the beginning to make it clear it's he's not referring to his own opinion, but the opinion of a Catholic group called Priests for Life. Kavanaugh was answering a question from Ted Cruz about a case in which he argued Priests for Life shouldn't have to comply with Obamacare's uh, birth control mandates for religious reasons. Here's here's the here's the full clip. They said filling out the form would make them complicit in the provision of. Uh the uh, abortion-inducing drugs that they were, as a religious matter, objected to. So what he's saying is, you know, hey, when he says it with filling out the form, saying blah, 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 he's saying, he's saying that I think these are abortion-inducing uh, drugs, um, although they're probably not referring to birth control. They're probably uh, talking about that, uh, that day, morning after pill. Um, but this is kind of like the Hobby Lobby case of 2012 when Obamacare first came out, and uh, they were arguing that, they, the Obamacare can't force them to buy insurance policies that, uh, that offer birth control to their employees when they're a Catholic-owned company and Catholics don't believe in contraception. And uh, that, was the, that was a religious freedom. But I'll tell you how people spun that because my sister, when I asked her before the 2012 election, I said, hey, are you voting this year? Yep. Who are you going to vote for? She goes, Obama. She go, I go, why? He goes, because your guy doesn't want women to have rights doesn't want women he doesn't support women's rights and i go you talking about the hobby lobby case that's not about women's rights it's about religious freedoms and uh you know apparently uh democrats don't understand don't understand that they just don't, they jump on a on a on a tweet or a, a little clip and they all just jump on the on the bandwagon but uh you know this uh this stuff doesn't doesn't stop harris from tweeting uh, uh she she tweeted uh, kamala harris tweeted this Kavanaugh chooses his words very carefully, and this is a dog whistle for going after birth control. He was nominated for the purpose of taking away a woman's constitutionally protected right to make her own health care decisions. No mistake. This is about punishing women. <laughs> I put in that 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 uh, laugh at the end was me. That wasn't on her tweet. Um, Harris's office backtracked the uh, backtracked and tweeted the full clip, but it looks like nobody told Hillary Clinton because she jumped on the train wreck stunt. Two days after it had been exposed, she tweeted out when Kavanaugh called birth control abortion-inducing drugs, he made it clear that safe and legal abortion isn't the only fundamental reproduction right at grave risk if he's confirmed. Access to birth control is too. 
Then she tweeted, Imagine an America in which American, American women are barred from getting IUDs or birth control pills, and doctors are criminalized for prescribing them. It's an America in which women would be punished for insisting on being full and equal partners in society. <sighs> Give me a break. And then here's proof that the apple doesn't fall far off the tree. Listen to these comments from uh, the Clinton's daughter, Chelsea. When I think about um, all of the statistics that um, are are painful of what women are uh, confronting Zerlina today in our country and what uh, even more women confronted uh, pre-Roe and how many women died and how many uh, more women were maimed because of unsafe uh, abortion practices, you know, we just can't go back to right. that. But as a deeply religious person, it's also unchristian mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, at, uh, as a deeply religious person, banning abortion is unchristian. Hmm, how does that work? Killing unborn babies is un. Not killing un uh, unborn babies is not very Christian. I don't know how that worked. I don't know how that worked. So next, uh, Diane Feinstein. Uh, I don't know. 85 years old, a little bit over the over the hill. Maybe she should uh, retire. Uh, she's about to win her next uh, her next uh, six year term uh, because California voters aren't very smart. Uh, she she produced a secret letter to, uh, that she gave to the FBI. Some anonymous person from Kavanaugh's high school when he was 17 says uh, she was sexually harassed or uh, sexually harassed or sexually uh, attacked when he was 17. Um, Number one, if it's true, it shouldn't be anonymous. Number two, if it was 35 years ago, uh, apparently it wasn't that serious because he didn't say anything. And uh, number three is, uh, you know what? That's what high school kids do. And uh, I just think, you know, uh, give me a break. So the Senate Democrats are not the only ones looking stupid this week. Plenty of idiocy to go around. Let's start with uh, former President Barack Hussein Obama who's recently got on the speaking circuit. Believe it or not, he's uh, brazenly taking credit for the Trump economy. By the time I left office, household income was near its all-time high, and the uninsured rate had hit an all-time low, and wages were rising, and poverty rates were falling. Uh, I mention all this just so when you hear how great the economy is doing right now, (laughs) let's just remember uh, when this recovery started. I mean, I'm I'm glad it's continued, but when you hear about this economic miracle that's been going on, when the job numbers come out, monthly job numbers, and suddenly Republicans are saying it's a miracle, I have to kind of remind them, actually, those job numbers are the same as they were in 2015 and 2016. Anyway. Oh, stop applauding. Gag me with a spoon. You know, while he was in office, it was all, everything was Bush's fault. Um, of course, he took credit for killing Osama bin Laden, even though it was uh, a a, uh, a force that, a, a project that was started under Bush. But he took credit for it. Now he wants to take uh, credit for the Trump economy. Hey, you know, the job numbers are this and that's this. Uh, it just, just like when Trump says, look at what the stock market is doing. 
the job numbers don't mean the total economy. And the stock market doesn't mean the total economy because there's a lot of, lot of different things that, that affect the economy. And uh, you've got the job numbers, you've got stock market, you've got labor participation rate, which was the lowest ever in the Obama administration, meaning, meaning at some point you run out of unemployment, you just say, hey, I'm not going to find a job. I'm just going to move in with my parents and sponge off them for a while. And then uh, you go off the you go off the labor participation rates, and so you're no longer counted in the statistics. You still don't have a job, but you're no longer in the statistics. And the biggest thing is the gross domestic product numbers, which uh, which basically are a number gauging how much uh, products that we're producing uh, as a as a nation, which is the biggest thing, because it shows how much we're growing. And the gross domestic product never grew at more than two percent a year during the Obama administration, but in the first quarter of this year, they grew at 4.1%. And the second quarter of this year, they grew at 4.2%. And they said, and after the 4.1, everyone said, this can't be sustained. It's just, hey, you know, it's seasonally unadjusted. It's uh, because of the Christmas season, or it's because of this, or it's because of that, or it's because of a uh, global warming, or it's because of whatever. And then it, then it came back the next quarter even higher. So, uh, you know what? Uh, and think about it confidence of corporations hey they might be doing good but if they don't have the confidence that they can invest in their own business and and do something uh, to grow their business they're not going to trump came in and changed the changed the uh, tax rates and changed the regulations and that's what it's about now on the other hand back in uh june of 2016 uh obama was doing a pbs town town hall remember that campaign stop was where trump promised carrier manufacturing that he would do whatever he could to stop jobs from being sent out of the country obama, obama didn't think it was possible let me play this clip my name is eric cottenham and i'm representing the uh, steel workers union mm -hmm. local 1999 and i'm trying to find out what do we have left as far as um, all of our jobs are leaving indianapolis right and uh, i see here you're doing a lot of things but in indianapolis there's nothing there for us. I mean, what's next? I mean, what can we look forward to in the future as far as jobs, employment, whatever? Because all of our jobs is left or in the process of leaving, sir. Well, in fact, the problems have been part of the problems have had to do with jobs going overseas. And this is one of the reasons why I've been trying to negotiate trade deals to raise wages and environmental standards in other countries so that they're not undercutting us. Wait, he's trying to negotiate wages and environmental standards in other countries to go up so they don't steal jobs from us. Wait, wait, wait. Do you have control of those other countries? You can't affect what they do in other countries. You can only affect how we react to them, how we deal with it. That's why, that's why Obama wasn't successful because he didn't understand the basics of how things work. Let me play the rest of that clip. For those folks who've lost their job right now because a plant went down to Mexico, you know, that isn't going to make you feel better. And so what we have to do is to make sure that folks are trained for the jobs that are coming in now because some of those jobs of the past are just not going to come back. And when somebody says, like the person you just mentioned, who I'm not going to advertise for, that he's going to bring all these jobs back. Well, how exactly are you going to do that? What are you going to do? There's, the, there's no answer to it. He just says, well, I'm going to, I'm going to negotiate a better deal. Well, how, what, how exactly are you going to negotiate that? What magic wand do you have? And usually the answer is 
he doesn't have an answer. Well, all evidence to the contrary, because he's uh, brought jobs back and it's uh, the economy's booming and everything's going on. But you know what? Obama's so dead gum smooth when he's reading the teleprompter, isn't he? So, uh, you know, next uh, FBI agents, uh, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, apparently Judicial Watch has gotten some more text, but I'm going to talk about those next week because I'm almost out of time. I want to talk about what MSNBC uh, Morning Joe, Joe Scarborough, a former Republican, he's getting nuttier by the day now. He swore, he's sworn off the party for good. On the 17th, the anniversary of, uh, on the 17th anniversary of September 11th, Scarborough wrote this op-ed, 16 years of strategic missteps have been followed by a maniacal moves of a man who has savaged America's vital alliances, provided comfort to hostile foreign powers, attacked our intelligence and military communities, and lent a sympathetic ear to neo-Nazis and white supremacists across the globe. For those of us still believing that Islamic extremists hate America because of the freedoms we guarantee to all people, the gravest threat Trump poses to our national security is the damage done by America's image. The question for voters this fall, is what, this fall is whether their country will move beyond this troubled chapter in history or whether they will continue supporting a politician who has done more to damage the dream of America only who's done more more damage to the dream of America than any foreign adversary ever will. Give me a break. He's done more than the foreign adversaries. Hey, that's all the time I have for part one of the main event. Don't go away. Part two is on my 9-11 tribute. When it's done... Give me your comments on my listener hotline, 855-640-2092. I think we're going to have to remember September 11 in its reality, much the same way as we have to remember other horrific events in our history. Because somehow I think it pushes the human consciousness toward finding ways to avoid this in the future. But if you, um, if you, if you censor it too much, if you try to find too many euphemisms for what happened, then I think you rob people of the ability to actually relive it and therefore motivate them to prevent it from happening in the future. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the September 11th edition of the main event. This week, in honor of September 11th, I put together a tribute to September 11th, consisting of some clips from uh, documentaries, interviews, uh, speeches, as well as uh, some movie clips and some music, too, to commemorate the day that changed our country, changed our world, and for many of us, changed our lives. Uh, I lost a I lost a high school friend on Flight 77 that hit the Pentagon that day, and uh, my wife and I have visited Ground Zero Ground Zero several times since 2001. So you can bet that we will never forget the impact that the attacks of that day had on our lives and our world, and I hope that you won't either. Uh, this project took a lot of time and effort to put together, so I hope you enjoy listening to it and find it moving and inspirational as I did in the process of creating it. Um, email me your comments at edhoffman at wccloans.com. That's Ed Hoffman, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N at WCC Loans. I'm interested in, in what you think. Enjoy. On a perfect, almost achingly beautiful late summer morning in early September 2001, a day of seemingly infinite visibility, one man later said, characterized by the rare and exquisite flying conditions airline pilots call severe clear. Life in New York and much of the rest of the contemporary world was changed irrevocably 
in the space of less than two hours. September 11, 2001 was the worst day in the history of the city. Everyone in the city should remain calm. The very best thing to do right now would be to remain home. I could see from the very beginning with the number of casualties and the tremendous damage that was done, and even the thought that we'd probably be attacked again during that period of time, that this was it's going to be really, really difficult. I'd ask the people of New York City to do everything that they can to cooperate, not to be frightened, to go about their lives as normal. Everything is safe right now in the city, and the people who are doing the relief effort need all the help they can get. At 9.02 a.m., little more than 15 minutes after the attack, millions of people in the metropolitan region and tens of millions more across the country and around the world were staring intently at the smoldering skyline of Lower Manhattan when a dark shape appeared on the horizon above the New Jersey lowlands and came hurtling across the upper bay. And then all of a sudden, I saw a big explosion of fire. And at that point, we all concluded, obviously, it was, it, was a it was a terrorist attack. I think that was the first point at which I realized that we were into something different than any, any of us had ever prepared for, or any of us had ever thought we would live through. I realized I was in some kind of a horrible, awful, horrific human experience. I hear people say, we don't need this war. But I say there's some things worth fighting for. What about our freedom and this piece of ground? We didn't get to keep them by backing down. They say we don't realize the mess we're getting in. Before you start your preaching, let me ask you this, my friend. Have you forgotten how it felt that day? The resolve of our great nation is being tested, but make no mistake, we will show the world that we will pass this test. God bless. I don't know if you guys know it yet, but this country's at war. Listen, I'm not, I'm not taking any more chances. We got stuff flying around we have no control over. And I don't want to board full of these planes hitting every building on the East Coast. This is a national emergency. Everyone lands regardless of destination. That's going to cost billions. Just do it. We have hundreds of international flights coming in. They're already in the air. No, no I, don't, I don't want any more international flights crossing the borders. They're going to have to go back where they came from. Nobody's coming into the country from now on. Everyone? Everyone. Shut off the East Coast. Shut off all the international from Europe. Shut off South America. Shut off the West Coast. Nothing over the top either. Canada? Yeah, Canada too. Shut down the airspace. I can't accept anybody. Nobody takes off. Take a moment. Think about this. We're going to put. We're going to shut down the entire country right now. That's right. Listen, we're at war with someone, and until we figure out what to do about it, we're shutting down. That's it. We're finished. This was an attack intended to destroy us, because we are a country that's built on principles of freedom, and because of free will, people get a chance to distinguish themselves. This wonderful American civilization emerges, which isn't based on any ethnic group, it isn't based on any one race, it isn't based on any one religion, it's based on people believing in freedom.
we heard things hitting the sidewalk. And I thought it was debris. And I think we all thought it was debris. And the windows on the west side of the building had already been blown out. So as I walked towards those windows, I realized it wasn't debris. These were people, people who were so desperate that they had jumped from whatever stories and they were landing. And it was a, a constant, the shrill of the pop as they hit the ground. And think about people so desperate that they would, they would choose that that way to die, and they had to know they were going to die. There's no way of, of surviving it, and that, that image will never leave. A mother described to me talking to her son on the telephone when the second plane hit, and that's the last time she talked to him. Another family described to me how their loved one had let two elevators go because he was older, and the people in the elevator were younger. And somehow my, my, my mind went back to the stories and the things you read about the Titanic or you know, people who allowed other people to get on, get on boats, and they didn't get on the boat because they were older. And from that moment on, I started thinking that we'll never know all the heroes. We know our uniform people were heroes. They went there and they died, and they gave up their lives bravely trying to save the lives of other people. But what we don't know are all the individual stories of the person who gave up the elevator for another person, the person who calmed someone and got them out of the building, the person who organized their flaw so that everybody could evacuate, the person who maybe at the last, in the last moments comforted people when all of them knew they were going to die. We've got over 300 firefighters that are missing that uh, we can't account for. We believe that many of, uh, many of them are, 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 are gone. We don't, um, we'll keep looking. Uh, we have hundreds of people over there now trying to find as many possible locations that they might be in, in some way, in a void or whatever, and, um, you know, still be able to breathe and, and still alive. But we believe that uh, most of these people, I think, are, are going to be uh, un unable to, to pull out. Pastor, I got to go down there. Where? New York. You, you can't. Only emergency responders are being allowed in. I spent my best years with the Marines. God gave me a gift to be able to help people to defend our country. And I feel him calling on me now for this mission. Then find a way to listen, Dave. And I started thinking about the people that might be trapped. Are there people trapped? If they are trapped, can they survive? And I remember thinking this, I, this is like being in hell. Today is uh, obviously one of the most difficult days in the history of the city and the country. The tragedy that uh, we're all undergoing right now is something that we've had nightmares about but probably thought wouldn't happen. My heart goes out to all of the innocent victims of this horrible and vicious act of terrorism, acts of terrorism, and our focus now has to be on saving as many lives as possible. What's the status here? Search has been called off. This whole thing is crap, man. Our guys are in there. They're dying in there. Looks like God made a curtain with the smoke, shielding us from what we're not yet ready to see. Do we know the number of casualties at this point, sir? I don't, I don't think we, we really want to speculate about that. The number of casualties will be more than any any of us can bear, ultimately. 
and I don't think we want to speculate on the number of casualties. The effort now has to be to save as many people as possible. United States Marines, anyone can hear me, yell or tap. Some of the information was too brutal. I think I said that day that I don't think people could handle the full implications. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me that best husband was Terry Haddon, who was, the, who was the captain of Rescue One. And I looked over and I said to her, Is, was Terry working today? And she said, yes. And just tears came down her eyes. She looked at me and she said, he's dead. And I got angry. I said, you don't know that, Beth. You don't know that. And she said, yeah, I know that. I felt it and I know that. I was standing on the steps of City Hall. We all looked up and I knew that Terry would have been one of, on one of the, the highest floor that he could get to in that building because that's just what his company does. And when I saw the building come down, I knew that he had no chance. His friend Tim told me that he saw Terry going in and Terry said to him, we may not be seeing each other again and kissed him on the cheek and ran up the stairs. We lost all those firemen. We lost police. We had this fantastic contradiction of people who hated you so much that they were willing to give up their life to take yours. And people who loved humanity so much that they were willing to run into the Don building in the smoke and flame and just to save the life of somebody they never met. And that ineffably beautiful. There's no better definition of love. There's no, there's no more inspirational, no more inspiring, no more near to saintly conduct that you can think of than what they demonstrated. We, everybody should in their own way say, say a prayer and ask God for help and for assistance and, uh, and also ask God to give us the strength to overcome this because I know we're, we're going to need strength to overcome it. And I want the people of New York to be an example to the rest of the country and the rest of the world that terrorism can't stop us. American democracy is much stronger than uh, vicious, cowardly terrorists, and we're going to overcome them. If you can hear me, yell or tap! We hear you! Ah! Keep yelling! <coughs> 813! BNPD down! Gotcha! Hang on, hang on, okay? Don't leave it! We'll be here a long time! We're not leaving you, buddy. We're Marines. You are our mission. <laughs> that's great! Oh, that's great! He took all the footage off my TV. Said it's too disturbing for you and me. It'll just breed anger. That's what the experts say. It was up to me, I'd show it every day Some say this country's just out looking for a fight Well, after 9-11, man, I'd have to say that's right Have you forgotten how it felt that day To see your homeland under fire And her people blown away Have you forgotten those towers fell We had neighbors still inside Going through a living hell And we vowed
is on bended knee in prayer for the people whose lives were lost here, for the workers who work here, for the families who mourn. This nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you! I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people... And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Chase Stadium served as a staging area for rescue supplies. And the New York Mets baseball team, overlooking its exalted status, banded together with other volunteers. We got a, we got a box of t-shirts here. People came in from Wall Street who had walked home and two days later, you know, I need to do something, I have to help, what can I do? I had that same feeling that, that so many uh, other Americans had, of just to, I needed to do something. The Yankees, too, pitched in. Following the team's first post-9-11 gathering, manager Joe Torrey led a group of players on a goodwill trip downtown. We went to the armory, which was the most emotional, and we didn't really know if we should be there. This is where families were all gathered to wait on word if their loved ones were alive. weren't alive, uh, evidence that they weren't alive, so they were doing DNA samplings. I, I remember one very poignant moment when Bernie Williams went up to this woman, and he was sort of fumbling, and he, and he says, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. He says, but you look like you need a hug. And he put his arms around her, and I, and I think sort of broke the ice to see that, you know, these people needed this. And I think at that point in time, I realized that there was a role for us. But I'll never forget where I was, and I'll never forget that day. And I remember taking a bus home at night at about 11.30 at Amsterdam on 116th Street. And how quiet the street was. There was an eerie silence, like nothing I'd seen in more than 30 years of working there. And then I remember when the bus came that there was a sign around the little box there that said, no fare today. I remember sitting on the bus, and sitting opposite a young woman who was just crying. And I remember when I got off the bus at 83rd Street, she was still crying. I remember just putting my hand on her shoulder. And I said nothing, and she said nothing, and I got off. But I'll always remember that woman. We have to cry, and we have to mourn and we have to feel terrible and awful. And on the way over here, I cried in my van because I had to go to the morgue to identify some. But I, the tears have to make you stronger. Every time you cry, you have to remember that we're right and they're wrong. In the aftermath of September 11th, the mood of the country changed. Baseball games became communal gathering places for fans to express their emotions. And as much of the country turned a sympathetic eye to New York, 
the Red Sox ask you to join us in a tribute to the spirit of the people of New York. The city's baseball teams became the objects of affection. I could not, under any circumstances, ever imagine cheering for the Yankees. But I think America's sense of New York changed in September 11th and, and the days afterwards. The face of New York changed. It was 343 New York firefighters who walked into the fires of hell to save strangers. And it becomes very difficult to hate the Yankees. Another reason for the heightened security was the appearance of a guest from Washington. All of a sudden, there was a knock at the door, and President Bush walked into our room. Well, when you're president, all you have to do is say you're showing up, and they kind of ask you to throw out the first pitch, no matter what time of year it is. So I go underneath the Yankee Stadium, in the bowels of Yankee Stadium, and there's a hitting cage there. And he's wearing his bulletproof jacket, and he's getting his arm loose, and Derek Jeter comes up to him. So I just asked him if he was going to be throwing the first pitch from the mound or in front of the mound. The president said, I thought, think I'll throw from the base of the mound. Jeter said, I wouldn't do that if I were you, Mr. President. And I told him, uh, you better throw from the mound, otherwise you're going to get booed. I said, this, this is Yankee Stadium. I said, okay, I'll throw from the mound. And he's walking out, and he looks over his shoulder, and he says, don't bounce it, they'll boo you. All of a sudden, the pressure mounted. The President of the United States. I'd never felt what I'd felt before when I walked out of that dugout. I felt the raw emotion of the Yankee fans. USA! 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 The crowd just erupts in a chant of USA. There is nothing like it that I've ever experienced at a ball game. It, it was overwhelming. It was just overwhelming. President Bush is standing out there like a brick wall. I'm not afraid of terrorists. I'm going to stand all out here. I'm going to give you a thumbs up. And I'm going to throw a strike. I didn't vote for him, but at that point, my personal feelings about him as a politician is gone. I watched him, and he was my representative, and I had never felt that way before. Very nice throw, Mr. President. Good stuff, good stuff. At that moment, everybody there was there for baseball and to show the world that in spite of what can happen to us, we'll pull ourselves together, and what is our life and our way of life will continue. United, we stand. We stand together in the face of this threat. We will play baseball in the midst of the, the beginnings of this war. No matter what the threat may be to us, the United States of America will stand strong and will never be intimidated. Have you forgotten all the people killed? Yes, some went down like heroes in that Pennsylvania field. Have you forgotten about our Pentagon? That we lost and those left to carry on Don't you tell me not to worry about Ben Laden Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? 
one of the tricks in life is to convert everything into good. You're a sculptor and you have a stone and the stone has a scar in it. And well, so now you have to sculpt around that scar and you've got to use that scar to, to make it part of whatever it is you're going to produce that's beautiful. And um, work with what you have, play it as it lies. You know? So whatever the circumstance, you know, use it for good purpose. 9-11, how can you possibly use it for good purpose? You think about it. You think, as uh, we've suggested before, you think about, look, what this reminds you of is the importance of your own life and making the most of it, because you, you can lose it in a flash. And if that's all you learned from 9-11, if that's all you remembered, that, my God, you could extinguish life so suddenly, so unexpectedly, and it could happen to me, and therefore, I should think harder about the way I spend my life instead of just wasting it. Now, it's not going to teach you what to do with your life, but it will teach you to do with your life. Thanks for listening to the main events. Tribute to 9-11. Email me your comments at edhoffman at wccloans.com or call the listener hotline 855-640-2092. I want to hear your comments, and I'll be back again with you next week. God bless the man.